Hi there everyone, it's really such a privilege to be with you again and to share the word. I really hope you've been enjoying getting things done and I'm believing God that there are wonderful testimonies coming out of this. Please just remember that we've got our testimonies um, page where you can share with us on our website. You can send us an email and you can share with us what's going on in your life with regards to this particular series. So get hold of us, we want to hear your story. And so today, we're continuing with this series, Getting Things Done, and we're going to talk about becoming decisive, becoming decisive. Father, thank you for the power of your word and the word of your power. Thank you for what you want to ignite in your people today. We open our hearts to you, Lord, and we say, come and teach us. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us. Come, Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of all truth. You're the spirit of truth. Come and guide us into truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we're going to talk about becoming decisive. This is so crucial, so important. You see, your action starts with a decision. Your action starts with a decision. The birthplace of actions lies in decisions, doesn't it? Sadly, we see so many Christians with great ideas, great theology, but very little action. Great leaders have a bias toward action. If you look at the greatest leaders in the world today, the greatest leaders in the past, you will notice that they had a bias toward action. You see, I like what uh, Robert Eager said, chronic indecision is not only inefficient and counterproductive, but it is deeply corrosive to morale. If you're the kind of leader who's not making decisions, people are uninspired. And as parents, you are leaders. As an older sibling, you're a leader. We're all leaders because leadership is to do with influence. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, he says, go into all nations, preach the gospel. That's to do with influence. That is leadership. So we are called to make decisions. This is so important. Now, uh, what decisions are currently pending in your life right now? What decisions are currently pending in your life? We don't like it when decision makers take too long, yet very often, we are in that same pending state for many decisions that we need to make. One of the biggest causes of inaction is indecisiveness. Decisiveness ignites action in your life. I want to encourage you today, decide to trust. Decide to get started. Decide to love. Decide to leave a certain situation. Someone once said, do not stay in a business that you can't move away from because it means that business has you okay decide to love decide to decide you know sometimes you have to decide to decide sometimes you have to sit down and actually say you know what tonight we need to make a decision concerning a b c d i'm telling you right now one of the main reasons why there's inaction in your life inaction in your life is very often because you're not making decisions, you're not being decisive. Decide to forgive. Decide to lose weight. I know some of you are saying, Paul, come on, I've made that decision many times. It hasn't worked, right? Or maybe it hasn't worked because you were in la-la land. You were just wishing. You know, when someone says, you know what, uh, this year I want to lose weight. That's a wish, it's not a goal. But if someone says, I'm making a decision to get a personal trainer, I'm making a decision to go to a dietitian. I'm making a decision to be accountable to this person and this person. I'm making a decision to change this habit into this one. And you translate your goals into habits. 
I'm telling you, you will see the difference. Just make a decision. For example, make a decision to reduce your sugar intake. Decide to fast for this long and not that long. Decide to pray for this long. Decide what type of Christian you want to be. Decide to commit. Decide to go to bed earlier at such and such a time. Decide to stop drinking. You know, there are many people who need to make that decision because they don't know how to handle alcohol and, you know, um, and it's just, it's not working. Decide to stop drinking. You don't, you don't need it in your life, okay? Decide to leave or redefine unhealthy friendships. Decide to stop flirting or cheating. You see, many people, they struggle with decision paralysis. Decision paralysis is where you just literally freeze and can't make a decision. So it's easier for them to not make a decision. But what people need to realize is that that's not the only option you have. When you're struggling to make a decision, there's a place for delegating that decision. And we actually do it quite a number of times, don't we? We do it a lot. You go to a shop and you don't know what to buy because there's so many choices. And it's been found that when you have so many choices around you, sometimes you just don't make a decision and you walk out the shop. But when you've got a salesperson next to you, if you know that very often you delegate the decision to that salesperson. Oh, what color do you think is nice on me? Pink or purple? Which one is nice? I'm not too sure. And the stranger who you don't really know just says, I think the purple one. You're like, okay, I'll go with the purple one. Sometimes that's actually a solution to just making a decision. I've been to the shops with certain people where you're with them and you say, hey, get yourself some chocolates and so on. And they see all the choices and they literally can't choose. They can't pick a chocolate. Now, I know that some of you, you love feeling like there are many choices. So when you go to the cinemas, you're that type of person who's like, oh, choices, choices, choices. And it's a positive thing for you. All right. It's a positive thing. So I'm not really talking about that, but I'm talking about decision paralysis, where you're supposed to be making decisions, but you rather go with the default of not making a decision because of the anxiety you feel because of the different choices that are there. Now, I want to show you today that you can become a decisive person if you are currently not. And then I also want to show you how to make godly choices, how to make wise choices, how to make wise decisions. This is so important. You see, I'm not talking to you about just being a decisive person because you can be decisive in the wrong direction. You can be decisive in the flesh. I'm talking to you about how to be decisive, but to make sure that your decisions are godly ones, your decisions are wise ones. Here's the principle. Not making a decision is a decision in and of itself. We know that, don't we? We know that. People need to know that not making a decision is not the only option they have. There are many people today who are believing God for their Mr. Right and multiple options came their way. But because of decision paralysis, for them the better option was just not to choose and I'm not saying that that was wrong of them to do so, but sometimes it's because we're avoiding making decisions. And I want to show you why we avoid making decisions. We'll see as we uh, continue with this message. Here's the thing. Rather make decisions and live by design instead of not making decisions and live by default. Because when you don't make a decision, by default you're making a decision. And here's the scary thing. There are consequences when you don't make certain decisions. For one, you remain double-minded. You remain double-minded and your prayers are not answered. The Bible tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways 
and should not expect to receive an answer from the Lord. Okay, uh, I mentioned that in my series on prayer that gets results and we see that in the book of James. This is so important to understand. Very often people are indecisive. Often we are waiting for God to do something whilst he's waiting for us to make a clear request. So sometimes it's also about deciding what you want from God, deciding what you are believing for from God. I remember being in a situation years ago where I was uh, making an inquiry. It was to do with postgraduate studies and so on. And I remember speaking to my vice chancellor. This was in the 90s. And I went up to him and I thought he would give me the answer. And I said to him, where should I go? I want to do, uh, it was a particular course and so on, a particular level of study. Where do I do it? What do I do? Which one should I do? And I was almost delegating or abdicating the responsibility to him. And I thought he would say to me something like, well, listen, son, uh, why don't you go to this university because you can do A, B, C, D. And he said something to me. He just said, what do you want? And it felt so awkward being asked that. I felt strange within myself because I had this feeling of, oh, I'm in charge of my life. How many of you know that you can experience a mid-twenties crisis? When you're in, the, in your mid-twenties, there's what's known as a mid-twenties crisis. That's the inability to function outside of an institutional setting, okay? Because we've been uh, to schools, maybe boarding schools, where you're told, this is now prep time, do your homework. This is now class time. And we get to our mid-twenties and we're like, oh, I'm actually in charge of my life. No one is going to choose my career for me. No one is going to tell me where to go to study. I actually have to decide for myself, you see. And so it's important that we rise up, that we mature, and we become decisive people. You know, one of the things people look for in their leaders is decisiveness. That's one of the things I've observed. And how many of you know that the person who's most clear in a room tends to have the most influence? The person who's most clear in a room tends to have the most influence. I believe that God is taking us to a place of influence and that influence will come with clarity. That influence will come with clarity. Even if you're clearly wrong, there's some people who are clearly wrong and they end up with lots of influence. They end up with lots of influence. And then those who are clearly right don't have influence because of lack of clarity and lack of decisiveness. Okay. I've seen people who I've coached being so frustrated when their leaders, especially some of these very analytical people, just aren't making decisions. And people start feeling uninspired. People start feeling like, well, where are we going? Tell us. Let us know. You see, if it is misty in your mind, then it will be foggy in the minds of those listening to you. And so we need clarity so that it is not foggy in the minds of the people who are listening to us. I like what Fashad Essel said. Uh, he's a guy from Iran who now lives in the States. And he got to the, he got to the United States of America with just, uh, he only had $400. Uh, and he could barely speak English. But now he's done so well in the business world. Uh, he's part of the John Maxwell team. He's one of the guys involved there. And he's a strong believer. And he said, decisiveness is the number one quality of a dynamic leader. His ability to communicate a decision with passion and in integrity is an art form. This is so important. You see, it's one thing, and we'll talk about it a bit later, it's one thing to make a decision. It's another thing to have a healthy interpersonal style in how you communicate that decision. And I'm going to show you a bit later on what your interpersonal style is when it comes to decision making. One of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus 
was decisive. He was decisive. He knew where he was going. He knew where he was going and he said to his disciples, come, follow me. He was very clear. A lot of people are not clear today. They come and they talk to you and you're wondering, do you want to sell me something? Do you want me to join you in something? Should I partner you with you in something? They're a bit confused. And so you're even more confused. You know, uh, Jesus encourages, he said, choose between God and mammon, but you cannot serve two masters. Make a decision. It's amazing when you put this decision-making lens uh, on you and you begin to, to see the Bible through decisiveness. It's amazing what you actually end up coming across. You see, so we see throughout scripture that those people that were used greatly by God, they were decisive. Look at Joshua in Joshua 24 verse 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, make a decision whether the gods of your ancestors, um, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He was basically saying, you guys have got free will, just choose, but don't be lukewarm, okay? Uh, and we see this in the, in the book of the Revelation, don't we? Do not be lukewarm or I'll spit you out of my mouth, okay? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's a decision. And there are many believers today who haven't made that decision. They haven't made that decision that, you know what? We are a Christian family and we're going to be radical about our Christianity. They just sort of go with the flow. Yes, I sort of grew up in religion. I guess I adhere to Christian principles, but they're just floating. I'm telling you, floating and being passive and being lukewarm will get you in trouble. It will get you in trouble. I'm telling you that right now. Okay. He says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. God was decisive. He created man in his image. That's what they decided, right? You know, within the Trinity. Okay. Let us make man in our own image and God did that and he created the male and female he decided there'll be male there'll be female there'll be those two genders okay um, that's what he decided that was a decision he was making right in the book of Psalms 75 verse 7 it says it is God who judges he brings one down he exalts another so he makes a decision concerning you know what you're going to experience my favor this person, my favor is not on them. For various reasons, he decides. He makes a decision. He's not in limbo. He decides to promote one and demote another. So part of being like God, part of being Christ-like, part of being uh, like all these um, church fathers in the early church is being decisive. How many people have told you that before, that part of Christ-likeness is decisiveness? You don't see Jesus in limbo concerning certain things, okay? He made decisions. Now, <clears throat> I like what Theodore Roosevelt said in Strenuous Life. He says, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much, because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. If you don't step out and stop that thing, you're that person who lives in that gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. But I'm going to add to this. It ends up defeat because one day on your deathbed, you will regret that you didn't fulfill your purpose. You see, as a believer, you have an edge in decision making. 
we should be making wise decisions why because we've got the holy spirit to assist us in isaiah 30 verse 21 it says whether you turn to the right or to the left your ears will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it this is the way walk in it and that's our portion Thank you, Lord, that we have your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, that we have you leading us. We don't need to be afraid of making decisions because we've got you and you've got our back. You've got our backs. We need to include God in our decision making. You see, this message is not about making decisions for the sake of it or in the flesh. My goal today is to encourage you to be decisive and then to show you how to ensure your decisions are godly ones your decisions are wise ones your decisions are spirit-led ones god-inspired decisions so here's the thing why do people avoid making decisions if you're that person who struggles with decision paralysis for some of your decisions and you just sit there maybe you hope someone makes the decisions for you if you struggle with decision making it's important to see how you've learned that behavior and i know i always say this Try to see how you've learned that behavior so that you can unlearn it. And so I want to give you a number of reasons why people avoid making decisions. Try to identify which one of these is you. And it might be a number of them. And then renounce these things. Uproot them. Right? The first one is to keep their options open. You see, some people see decisions as bondage. Paul, if I make this decision, then I'm tied down forever. They need to realize, if you think this way, you need to realize that most decisions do not permanently alter your life. You know, you can change your mind concerning certain things. This is so crucial. You see, some people, for some people, everything is on a hundred. Everything is on a hundred. You know, with those graphic equalizers, you know, those people who thought tenor, bass, everything must be on a hundred for the sound to be really nice. We know it shouldn't be like that. So it's important to ask yourself, is this a life-altering decision? Or is this just something that is a bit arbitrary? If I go to the cinemas, for example, there might be a few options for us. Hey, we can watch this one or this one or this one. I'm like, cool, let's watch this one. Why? Because we can always watch the other one in a few weeks' time, right? But some people treat it like it's a life-altering thing. They literally stand there and they can't make a decision which movie to watch. Ask yourself, is that you? Are you that person who goes into a shop and you just see choices, especially when you travel overseas and you're wondering which tea should I buy if you're a big tea person or which coffee should I buy? There's so many choices, okay, and you freeze. So a lot of people like to keep their options open because they see that committing to a particular decision is bondage. Sometimes you have to ask yourself, you know what, is it possible for me to make this decision and then maybe if it doesn't work out, I can try out something else very often that's true you can the second reason why a lot of people avoid making decisions is the fear of accountability the fear of accountability often they're actually afraid of being blamed if things don't work out okay and this is particularly true when the stakes are high when the stakes are high you know decision making gets more complex when there are many variables to consider for example oh it might impact these people oh this one might end up out of a job oh it's a big risk for my family so sometimes these are major decisions to make 
But you see, some of these people hide behind consensus decision-making. Because they're struggling to take accountability for certain decisions, you see them sitting down and they hide behind, hey, what does everyone think? What should we do? And when everyone says, I think we should do such and such, the person says, okay, but just remember, it's not on me if it doesn't work out. They don't necessarily tell you that, but that's what they're thinking. It's not on me because you all said we must go this direction, okay? And sometimes it can affect you in terms of your effectiveness as a leader. It's important to actually know this is what I must, these are the decisions I must make based on consensus. And these are the ones people are waiting for me to actually make the decision, you see? So it's important to know what's for the group and what's for you when it comes to making a decision, right? The third reason why people avoid making decisions is low self-esteem. You see, some people keep second-guessing themselves. I don't know if any of you are like that, all right? They keep second-guessing themselves because of their low self-esteem. So they make a decision. They're about to go with what their gut is telling them. And then, no sooner have they done that, they start second-guessing themselves and they don't make a decision. And you ask them, are you decisive? And some of them think they're quite decisive, but what they don't realize is they're like a person who's fishing, you know, where you cast your um, fishing rod and then you start reeling it in, reeling it in, reeling it in. So they commit to a decision. They're about to commit. And just as they're about to commit, they're like, no, 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 maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. Okay. And they can con themselves into thinking they're decisive, but they're not. All right. The fourth reason is lack of training or experience. You see, some people have grown up in situations where they literally have no experience making decisions. Sometimes you see this with some lost bones, especially lost bones who have, who've had uh, domineering siblings who made all the decisions. And you see that they end up going through life always having to surround themselves by strong characters and strong personalities who make the decisions for them. There are times when you actually see this when it comes to um, maybe if someone loses a spouse and maybe the spouse used to do everything for them, okay? They used to um, uh, pay all the bills, they knew about the insurance, they knew about everything, and now this person has to make all those decisions themselves. So sometimes if you just haven't had the experience of having to be decisive concerning certain things, it can be a bit challenging. The fifth one is passivity, passivity. We avoid making decisions because of a passive mind. And at a certain point, I'm going to teach you on uh, passivity. We're going to go very deep into it, a whole sermon just on passivity and the passive mind. It's so important to understand that God has given us a will. You see, this is linked to fatalism, this passive mindset. You know, you put things in God's hands that he's expecting you to figure out. You see, if you look throughout scripture, there's certain things where God says, you must do, go ahead and do. And he leads us. But at a certain point, the aspects of it, where he says, you figure it out, you decide, you see. And some people think they're being so spiritual when they're like, I asked the Lord about this. I asked the Lord, what color shoes should they be? I asked the Lord and God isn't answering because he doesn't really care, to be honest with you. There's certain things God doesn't care about. I know some of you don't like that language. Some of you are like, no, he cares about every single thing. No, there's certain things God doesn't actually care about, whether your shoes were the green ones or the pink ones, okay? That's what you care about, all right? Now, look, sometimes the Holy Spirit can say, wear the pink shoes, and then maybe someone else gets a word saying, listen to the woman who was dressed in the pink shoes, and so on. You know, I know there are those cases, but for the most part, let's not become flaky people, all right? 
Sometimes it's linked to a fatalism we have where we just say it's all in God's hands and God is thinking to himself, no, I want you to apply your mind to that particular thing because you can shape it. If you're fatalistic, that thing is not going to happen. I want you to apply your mind to this particular thing and make a decision. I've empowered you to make a decision. Okay, let's not put it all on God. And then when it doesn't work out, we say, but it was God. All right. Um, the sixth reason why people end up avoiding making decisions is they've got an insatiable need for information. You know those people who are very analytical, right? Uh, it goes hand in hand with uh, logical analysis. It's a way of mental, mentally processing information and evidence-based thinking. There's some people who cannot make any decision if they haven't got enough information. And they think they're very mature and they say, well, we just need the information. Well, we just need the information. At a certain point, you have to go with the information that you have, okay? Because if you don't go with that, what happens is people are waiting. And by the time you make the decision, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. So getting information, getting the facts is wonderful, but there's the extreme of it. And a lot of people who are fearful people hide behind that. You know, you say to them, so have you decided? We're just waiting for some consultants and want to see what they have to say. They're doing a study on it. Because you know, Paul, we have to do it based on research. We can't just thumb suck these things. Okay, fine. Two weeks later. So have you decided? You know what? Uh, we've got the information now from the consultants and they've given us three options. So we're now just analyzing, looking at the different scenarios to see which one are we going to pick. Four weeks later, have you decided? And they still haven't. They've got some excuse around it. All right. The seventh reason why people struggle with decisiveness is delaying the inevitable. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we procrastinate making decisions because we're trying to avoid a certain emotion. If you want to understand people and how people function, very often people behave in a certain way to get rid of a certain emotion or to avoid a certain emotion that they don't like. So for example, closing down a business grieving some kind of loss around that or struggling to let go a lot of times this delay is actually due to pride you know we're too proud to downsize what will people think of me oh i'll feel ashamed when i downsize i'll feel ashamed when i have to change my from that flashy vehicle i've been used to you know um, this is a real, a, a real big reason for people not making a decision they know they're going to experience pain they know they're going to experience pain. They're anticipating the pain of the decision. They catastrophize that situation. Instead of actually looking at the facts behind the situation, they're now thinking of that emotion. I'll feel so embarrassed. And then they just avoid it and they think it will go away, but they're delaying the inevitable because at some point they'll have to make that decision. Sometimes people avoid making decisions because of confusion about the role players. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we don't know who's actually responsible to make the particular decision. Here's the thing, no one is going to choose a career for you. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to manage your own career. When I, when I do my seminars on career management, when I coach people around their careers, I like to emphasize this. You are responsible to manage your own career. No one is going to manage it for you. No one is having sleepless nights thinking, what's Paul going to do with his career? What's his vision? Oh, it troubles me. What's his vision? No one is doing that. Okay. Do you know who the decision maker is? Or are you still expecting your boss to tell you what to do with your life? They're not going to tell you what to do with your life. And in fact, if they're telling you what to do with your life, that's illegitimate. It's illegitimate authority. That's not the authority God has given them. Okay. 
Um, so you need to make certain decisions for yourself. The ninth reason why people avoid decision making is mental exhaustion. Some people are so tired of making decisions at work, especially leaders. Okay, so they end up failing to be decisive at home. They forget that they're also a leader at home. For example, I remember a particular couple where the wife was saying to us in a particular workshop, she was just saying, you know what, I work together with my husband, okay? And I was very, I was very familiar with their situation because I was involved in it also. And um, she would talk about how her husband was such a strong leader, such a visionary at work. But when they would go home, he would abdicate certain responsibilities. Certain things weren't being done. Certain decisions weren't being made. And she would say, this is really frustrating. I remember coaching an individual who would be on overdrive in terms of what they would push at work. And then they said to me at one point, Paul, but you're so right. I really push up my red, that driving side of things at work. But I can see from how, what, how my personality is. That's why at home, there are all sorts of projects that have been left undone. Because I've used up all this driver side of me at work and at home things have been left undone. Okay, here's the principle. You need to lead at home too. You need to lead at home too. And sometimes people don't do so because they're actually mentally exhausted. They're mentally exhausted. They're too tired to be responsible for another thing. Let me tell you something. Responsibility is tiring. It's tiring, isn't it? Okay, I remember I, I sometimes have chats with my wife and we'll talk about various scenarios and I'll look at a certain situation and I'll say, my love, even though this particular thing doesn't involve much work, I think the thing that's weighing me down is the deep sense of responsibility. It weighs me down in terms of this particular scenario. So responsibility when you're a leader can actually be mentally exhausting and watch out for that. And then the 10th one I want to share with you and the last one is uh, neuroticism, neuroticism, okay? So this is basically, the, it, it's basically a psychological term, but it's the condition, it's actually a condition that's embedded in certain personality types, okay? Where they believe that the world is unsafe, that the world is threatening, and that the world is a distressful place. And there, there are many reasons for this. And it's not always uh, like a mental disorder, and that kind of thing. The extreme of it is. But there's some people, the way they're wired, okay, uh, they, they, they have deeply embedded in them, deeply wired in them, this thing we call neuroticism. And when you're wired like this, it's often coupled with the fear of failure, the fear of making wrong choices, and the fear of danger. And if you're wired like this, you will struggle to make certain decisions. You see, there's some of us where we'll make certain decisions and we're like, cool, if it doesn't work out, we'll just try something else. And we're quite relaxed about most things. But you'll find that with some people, with tiny, tiny decision making, where you think like, this is not a major thing. Why are you so troubled? It's because their mindset is, the world is a dangerous place, Paul, and you must be cautious. And it's also a challenge when you've got the one person who's, uh, who struggles with um, neuroticism married to someone who's the opposite because this one wants to be free and wants to do all sorts of things but they literally end up feeling tied down uh, by this person who's wired differently okay and that's that's one of the things we cover when it comes to marriage counseling because it can become a challenge you know what i appreciate how shadrach meshach and abednego remember daniel's friends they were decisive about being thrown into the fire and the reason they were so decisive about it was they saw that God was still with them despite the outcome. So they could make a decision. 
you know them it's a mindset that we all need to have their mindset was basically throw us into the fire but god will deliver us but even if he doesn't god is still with us god is still god but we know we must obey his word and we must not worship any other gods it was clear they had that clarity therefore they were decisive in daniel 3 16 to 18 let me read it for you shadrach meshach and abednego replied to him king nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the god we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand but even if he does not this is what some of you need to be saying to yourselves in various situations that you find yourselves in okay but even if he does not we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up this is a mark of maturity god i will serve you and i will worship you despite the outcome an immature believer is a believer who would say lord you didn't come through for me lord i didn't get my breakthrough lord you didn't give me the comfort i was believing you for therefore i'm not serving you anymore very conditional in that way now identify what the root cause is for you to not be decisive in specific areas some of us are very decisive in some areas but there are certain areas of our lives where we either abdicate that to someone else or we're just paralyzed by decision paralysis try to identify what that is for you and where it comes from what the root cause is now here's the thing there are a lot of people that are decisive but unfortunately they do not make wise decisions they do not make godly decisions so we want to be decisive and godly at the same time so how are we to make wise decisions this is what i want to address now how are we to actually make wise decisions you see a lot of people don't have a framework for decision making how many of you have a framework for making decisions now i've highlighted about uh, six major dimensions that we can actually consider when we are attempting to make wise decisions the first thing i want to say to you is develop self-awareness with regards to your default decision making mental processing this is so important because we're different we have different personalities and there's something called agile thinking that actually helps you to shift from one mental process to another let me give you an example of uh, different ways of processing your decision making process you're processing mentally okay the first one is logical analysis logical analysis so for some people they analyze and analyze and then they have to make a decision stemming from that if that's your default make sure you learn how to tap into other ways of processing so that you make a good decision because if it's only logical analysis you might run into trouble you know those people and i described them earlier on you ask them so have you decided oh we need to bring consultants in, consultants in have you decided oh we're still doing the research they're they're, they're one track they're, they're just one track minded when it comes to how they make decisions okay the second one is evidence-based thinking where you make a decision based on the actual evidence okay not just on thumb sucking or uh what someone else wants to do the third one is possibility thinking this is where you sit down and you just brainstorm some people struggle with this this is where you just dream this is where you sit down and just say if money wasn't an issue what would we do and that is so powerful 
It's so powerful. Some couples struggle with this, by the way, where, where their spouse has to say to them, listen, I was just dreaming, you know, because you see, if you're starting to dream and your spouse keeps saying, but we don't have enough money, they'll never know what your dream car is. They'll never know what your dream house is. They'll never know what your dream life is. So it's important to engage in possibility thinking. But have you noticed that a lot of people struggle with this? Think about it, even in your workplace. There's some people when you decide, let's just brainstorm around a thing, they keep saying, no, that won't work. No, that won't work. Because they're in analysis mode already. Okay? Then you've got gut feel judgment. You know that sometimes you do the scenario planning, you've got three options. They all seem to be good options. And that's where you sometimes need to trust your gut, trust your intuition to pick one out of the three. Okay? Again, some people don't trust themselves because they've made lousy choices in the past and now they're just very cautious about any decision they make. Generally speaking, general guideline when it comes to gut feel judgment, you can use it in an area in which you've got experience. So for example, if you've done so many interviews with so many people, sometimes you have to trust your gut concerning certain things because you've seen dynamics in people based on their body language, etc. Okay? But be careful of gut feel judgment in an area that you don't have experience in. You see, sometimes we think gut feel judgment and intuition is something so mystical. A lot of times it actually isn't. A lot of times your brain has processed it so many times, okay? And you think you're just being intuitive, but your brain is actually telling you that there's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. And then there's scenario planning. Scenario planning. Scenario planning is where you look at various scenarios and you make a decision based on the picture of each scenario that you're looking at. Now, here's the thing. It's important to recognize the strengths and the weaknesses of these different ways of processing and making decisions, you see. And when you're agile in your thinking, you're able to step in and out of these different ways of mental processing. Ask yourself, what's my default? What's my default? And what's the danger of that default? And try to embrace other people who've got different ways of making decisions and then see if you can marry your approach with theirs. That's how effective teams end up working uh, really well. The second thing to do if you want to make wise decisions is develop self-awareness with regards to your decision-making interpersonal style. What do I mean by this? It's one thing to have made a decision. It's another thing to communicate that decision, especially when you're working in a team and you're working with people, you see. So some people are directive. Their mindset is, it's my way or the highway. However they've come up with that decision, it's my way or the highway. They're very directive. And there's a place for this. For example, if you're the floor warden, right in the building and you've got all the information concerning which route people should take when there's a fire then you should be directive it's not a, it's not appropriate for you to sit back and to say to people so what do you think which way should we go because there's a fire burning right now which way should we go out what's the escape route what's your take let's take a vote that's not an appropriate decision making style it's important for you to use the information you've got and be quite directive about it some people's mindset, unfortunately, is it's my way or the highway, shape up or ship out, okay? But in certain situations, they should actually be asking for other people's input. Because, you see, even when we prophesy, we prophesy in part, okay? We don't know everything. We're not omniscient. And unfortunately, a lot of leaders and a lot of people out there, they've believed their own press. They've become so powerful. And what does absolute power do? It corrupts, doesn't it? Absolutely. 
So make sure you get input from other people. Be humble. You know, um, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, if you think you are uh, leading people, but no one is following you, you're merely taking a walk. F.D. Roosevelt once said, one of the saddest experiences a leader can face is to go through life thinking he's leading people, and one day he turns around and realizes, ain't nobody. Okay, I don't think he's saying that song, but he realizes that no one is actually following me. All right, so watch out for that. The second one is the consultative approach. This is that mindset that says, I need to make a decision, but I would appreciate your input. And there's a place for that, isn't there? Right? But try not to be false about this. You know, I remember people complaining, saying that, yeah, the problem with this one particular leader is that uh, they make you think you are shaping the decision. They ask for your input, but they've already decided what they're going to do anyway. So this needs to be transparent. It's not this smokescreen where you're pretending to be something that you're not. And then you've got the affiliative approach. And this is the approach where you're asking, how will this decision impact everyone else? And there's some people who are really good at this. And then there are other people who overuse the strength, right? Everything is about what does everyone think? How will it affect everyone? There's certain decisions we need to make sometimes because that's the leading of the spirit and not everyone is going to be happy with that particular decision. Not everyone is going to understand that particular decision. And this is where it's important for you to be honest with yourself. Are you a people pleaser who wants everyone to be happy with the decision that you've made? Uh, because if you're leading people, that can sometimes be your downfall if you're a people pleaser. There's also the democratic approach. And this is the mindset that basically says, what does everyone think? And maybe it looks like this. It's let's vote. Let's have a vote on it. The thing to understand is that there are times when things can be democratic. There are times when people are looking to you to lead. There's the consensual approach. What does the collective want? And I mentioned to you earlier on, some people hide behind this. There's the delegative approach. Okay. You can make the decision for this matter with the following restrictions. That's what they basically say to people. Hey kids, it's uh, a birthday is coming up, you know, for this particular child. What do you guys want to do? Decide what you want to do. And here's the budget and I'll give you feedback on it. Okay. You're delegating that decision to them. Sometimes if you haven't thought through things, it can backfire. Trust me, it can backfire on you. Okay. Then there's also abdicating decision-making. This is where you say, it's up to you guys. Do whatever you want to do. Now, it's important to use different decision-making styles for different situations. This is so, so important. Are you using the incorrect decision-making style in particular situations in your life? It's so important to sit down, husband and wife, to talk about it. What decisions do we delegate to the children and what decisions do we need to make? You know, I speak to various people and there's certain decisions that our kids make and then you see in some other families, it's like mm -mm, mom and dad decide those particular things. And sometimes it's the other way around. So we've got different approaches, but it's important that husband and wife are aligned with regards to that. You know, a lot of conflict arises when we don't understand each other's default styles. Have you noticed that? Perhaps I'm trying to be democratic while someone else wants me to call the shots and make a quick decision because they're like, you the leader and we want a strong leader. Okay. Um, and they see it as weak leadership. I've seen it happening sometimes in certain organizations where you have strong characters reporting to a leader who analyzes everything. And these strong characters who just want to um, get into action, they are frustrated 
and they're like this person keeps turning this over and turning that over you know uh, they want to maintain the status quo it can be frustrating and sometimes when I've given feedback to those so-called bosses or leaders I've had to say to them just remember that your style can frustrate some of the people reporting to you because they perceive it to be weak leadership they don't just see it as oh he's strong when it comes to logical analysis oh he wants to make a decision and really think it through so that he doesn't regret oh she's very consensual because she wants to make sure she's got buy-in from everyone let me tell you something there are times when you need buy-in from everyone but a lot of the times you don't actually need everyone's buy-in you might need the buy-in of a core group or just a few people you see now sometimes we seem to get so frustrated because we haven't thought through some of these things and we have problems with kids where we feel like my kids they feel so entitled around their birthday and around what uh, present they're gonna get I remember back in the day you know a present is a present it's a gift you know what I mean it's not something you can demand it's not something you can say so for my present um, this is what you should get me and so on it's not like that right the third thing I want to share with you if you want to make wise decisions is align with God's Word this is so so important in the book of Psalms 119 verse verse 105 the Bible says your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path this is so powerful isn't it okay someone once said the Bible says your word is a light for my path it doesn't say it's a spotlight into the distance so God leads us step by step doesn't he so on the one hand, it's important that the decision you are making is in line with God's principles as stated in his word. Now, this often has to do with accumulated wisdom that you have gained with regards to how God operates. Now, when we are aligned with God's word, we will make decisions that glorify him. It's important to understand this. In Luke 7, verse 35, um, it says, But wisdom is proved right by all her children some translations say wisdom is judged by her fruit if you want to see if you're making a godly choice if you want to see whether you're making a wise choice right um, look at the fruit of it keep asking yourself is this according to God's Word and is it something that's glorifying God are people saved in the process is it a good thing that's building up the community or is it something that's going to derail people right so if you are wondering hey should we open this um, shady joint you know that sells this dodgy stuff you know it's very easy to make that decision ask yourself is wisdom being proved right here by her fruit what's the fruit of this particular thing that I'm doing you see and some people have been trapped in their lives because they don't think through these decision-making processes so make a decision but make it aligned to the Word of God and then the next reason next thing that you can look into when you want to make wise choices the fourth thing is align with the inward witness and the peace of God in your heart again this is so important in the book of Acts chapter 20 verses 20 to 23 the Bible says you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you but have taught you publicly and from house to house I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus now watch verse 22 and now compelled by the Spirit I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there compelled by the Spirit 
sometimes we have this inward witness in our spirit man that we need to do a particular thing okay that's the inward witness and as you mature in the lord it's important to be sensitive to the leading of the holy spirit through your human spirit this is so important and that's one of the advantages we have as born again people that our spirit man has been regenerated and sometimes there's that tugging of our spirit man and we know this is what i need to do this is so important okay and uh, it goes on to say in verse 23, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So sometimes the Spirit of God can lead us into a difficult space. The Bible says Jesus was led into the wilderness. Now here, uh, the apostle is saying, I only know, Paul the apostle is saying, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But he was being compelled to do these particular things okay in colossians 3 15 this is where we see the role of the peace of god remember in scripture it says you will go out with joy you'll be led forth with peace and one of the things about god's peace is that god's peace leads us in colossians 3 15 it says let the peace of christ rule in your hearts some translations say be umpire in the decisions that you make okay since as members of one body you were called to be, you are called to peace and be thankful. I love the way thanksgiving is thrown in there. All right. So there are times when I say to people, is the yes getting bigger concerning a particular decision? Because they've been decisive, they've made the decision, but I'm saying, is the yes getting bigger? Is the yes getting bigger? And what am I asking for? I'm asking about the inward witness concerning the particular thing. I'm asking about the peace of God in your heart. Or are you feeling a dispeace? If you look at the word peace in scripture, in the Greek, one of the, one of the words used is Irene. Irene, that's where we get the, the name Irene from. And it literally, one of its meanings is being at one with. You see, some people have the, what we call the divided self. And they lack peace because their self is divided. Because the flesh is pulling them in one direction, right? And the spirit is pulling them in a different direction. And then they lack peace. And they're wondering what's going on, what's going on? right or they're doing a particular thing and it's pulling them in a particular direction but their spirit is saying no 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 no, don't do this and so the self is then divided you see you want your body to be aligned with your soul and your spirit okay you want everything to be aligned then you have peace because you're at one with yourself and you're at one with god that's very important all right and then the fifth uh dimension of wise decision making that i want to unpack with you is listen to godly counsel this is so important listen to godly counsel in proverbs 15 verse 22 it says plans fail for lack of counsel so you can have a plan and if you're that independent person very often you want to do everything by yourself because secretly you want to be the only person who gets the glory for it okay um, but the bible says plans fail for lack of counsel should you be seeking counsel right now concerning a particular thing? I've got people who come to me, people who I'm pastoring, who sometimes will say, yeah, pastor, we just wanted you to know because it, it wasn't yet finished. The project wasn't yet complete. But now that it's ready and it's done, we just want to tell you about it. And I'm thinking, why don't you tell me about it before? Why don't you tell me about it when it's still messy? Because maybe I can agree with you in prayer. I don't want to control what you're doing, right? But I can agree with you in prayer. Are you ashamed of that? Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, 
they succeed. That's a word for some of you right now. Those of you who are lone rangers, those of you who are trying to be a self-made man, I'm telling you this is for you right now. You know, it's so important to make sure that we are accountable, to make sure that we're getting the input that we need to get. I've spoken to my kids who are passionate about business and I've said to them, guys, we've got such a wonderful network of people around us, people who like us, people who respect us, people who appreciate us. So-and-so is in this type of business that you're interested in. Get a hold of them and you can do A, B, C, D with them. Sometimes they're a bit shy about that, but you know what? It's about seeking counsel. There are times when my kids will ask us for help. Can you show me this? Can you show me this? There are other times when they don't necessarily want to because they want to prove to us that, hey, I know the answer. Seek counsel. With many advisors, you will succeed. You will succeed. And don't just seek the counsel that you want. Here's the danger. A lot of people will say, yeah, we sought counsel. We, we, we sought counsel, you know. But then I say, who did you go to? And they went to someone where they could have predicted what the person was going to say to them. So again, just please watch out for that, okay? Sometimes it's good to actually pre-decide who you're going to go to without even knowing in advance uh, that, you know, I'm going to go to them for this issue and this issue, this, this issue. You've pre-decided, this is my counsel. These are the people I'm accountable to. Then when the issues come up, especially around marriage challenges and so on, when the issues come up, you've pre-decided, this is who I'm going to speak to and you speak to them. We're not talking about heavy shepherding here. We're not talking about people being controlling. It's still you who's making the decision. But ask yourself, did I get wise counsel? Very important. Then the sixth aspects that I want to go into if you want to make godly decisions is yield to the to the leading of the spirit yield to the leading of the holy spirit you know if you look at someone like ananias ananias made a decision in response to god speaking to him right um, and I, I want you to see this. Notice the intimacy he had with the holy spirit to actually converse with the holy spirit at a high level. In Acts chapter 9 I'm going to read from verses uh, 10 through to 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. You know what I like about the book of Acts is throughout the book of Acts, you see God speaking to people supernaturally. And we need to be open to supernatural input from heaven, from God, not the fake stuff, but from the Lord, not the counterfeit, but from the Lord as we make decisions. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Isn't that powerful? Sometimes when we're in prayer, that's where God connects us with the right people. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. Okay? It's like the Lord is emphasizing that, listen, this is an instruction here. This is a command here, you know. This is not just this conversation, you know. It's not just a suggestion. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Verse 17. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Now, I don't know if Ananias was happy with that last bit of that prophetic word that he got, you know, like, oh, okay, at least the guy is going to suffer. Okay, the call, let me go. Okay, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. So he made a decision to obey. He was decisive. He, he judged the prophecy. He saw this is, this is not a demon, right? This is not something fake or dodgy. I know the Lord, right? Um, he's my shepherd. I know his voice. And he made a decision based on that. You see, it's important when you receive a prophetic word to, to judge it. And if you feel like this is not from God, then you don't put it on the shelf. You reject it, okay, after judging the prophecy. Or you get counsel around it. Remember that there's no private interpretation of prophecy. It's important to involve other people in it also because uh, we have blind spots. And then from there you make a decision, but be decisive. Be decisive. Don't just be in limbo, right? And I find it interesting. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. I love the way he called him brother, right? Uh, he went all out obeying the Lord. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay. Uh, you see this in Acts chapter 10 with Peter and Cornelius. All right. Where uh, the Lord actually appeared in a vision. Um, well, the Lord gave Peter a vision while he was fasting right, and praying. Gave him a vision of unclean food. And through that whole process... It was basically an instruction for him to go to Cornelius, okay? So the Holy Spirit can lead you, but you still have to be decisive about it. Many people get words from the Lord. I've been in situations where I'll get a word from the Lord, and I know it's from the Lord, and I act on it. I've had other situations that I'm a bit um, sad about, where the Lord will speak to me in a dream about a particular thing, and I've got a strong sense this is from the Lord, but I didn't do anything about it, and subsequently I saw the consequences of not having done something about it. Okay, um, You still have to make a decision after the Holy Spirit has spoken the word of wisdom. Uh, it still needs to be judged. Okay, And it's interesting how Paul and Barnabas were released in a team setting and the commission did not happen in isolation. So sometimes we need to involve other people in this. And you see this in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 3. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, uh, Simeon called Niger, and it mentions their names and it says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And that might not have even seemed natural. Because you know sometimes God will send you out, but things are really going well. You're in a comfort zone. They're prophets, they're teachers. Things were humming in the church at Antioch. But they still had to be decisive and it was interesting how the the group was involved sometimes you see in the book of acts it will say things like it seemed good to the holy spirit and to us that this is what's going to happen so involve people in the flow you see sometimes god will lead you in a way that doesn't seem in line with the natural flow of things you know philip for example philip the evangelist was in the middle of revival in samaria Yet he obeyed when he was led to minister to an individual, the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, it's also interesting how uh, first an angel spoke to him, and then later it says the spirit led him. 
right? And in all of this, and I'm going to read you the passage because it's so powerful, but in all of this, he still needed to be decisive. You see, when he interfaced with the eunuch, he knew why he had been led there because all he was doing was just preaching the gospel. So it's not like the Holy Spirit said to him, now start preaching to him. He knew that's what he was sent there to do, but he was led to that particular place. You see, God, here's a, here's a principle, God sometimes leads you, he'll sometimes lead you to places, then leave you to be decisive with regards to the approach that you'll use. He tells you certain things, gives you specific instructions, and then afterwards you see that you're now in that place, you're in the right place, the right time, and it's obvious to you what you should do. You see, now it's important to remember that the import, it's important to remember the importance of judging prophecy when you get it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This is how cults start. When someone says, I had this vision, and therefore we must do A, B, C, D. Okay, and no one is allowed to actually say, well, listen, there's a difference between the revelation, okay, the interpretation of that revelation, and then the application of the interpretation, okay? And sometimes when we're helping people, my wife is very good at this, helping people in terms of interpreting dreams and so on, we like to explain those three aspects. And that's why it's good to involve other people. Hey, this is what I saw. What's your take? Okay, so in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 30, this is how Philip was led. And then he made a decision. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Okay? So an angel had spoken to him. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, um, uh, of the Ethiopians, okay, of the Kandaik, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to uh, the uh, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet the spirit told Philip now he's being led by the spirit okay go to that chariot and stay near it then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet now he had to make a decision let me start speaking do you understand what you are reading Philip asked and the rest is history Okay, and I believe that God used that particular eunuch to then influence uh, Ethiopia. Finally, I want to share with you the last one, and it's basically be cognizant of providential circumstances. We need to take cognizance of certain things. Donald Gee writes, there is scarcely anything more nauseating than professing to receive some personal revelation that flatly contradicts the ordinary, decent, and scriptural duties of everyday life. And Donald uh, Gee, um, he wrote in, you know, near the beginning of the last century, but amazing wisdom concerning these things. And you know what this is speaking of? Sometimes people have got this thing of, I'm being decisive concerning certain things, but you can see that their circumstances, their life stage goes completely against that, you know? You have some people who've got a mindset of like, oh, they've just had a baby, for example. You know, the baby is only three days old and they're already thinking to themselves, oh, I got offered a job. Uh, it's, it's out of the country. So I'm going to go and a nanny is going to look after my baby because I've got this job opportunity. No, your circumstances that God has led you up to this particular point, Ebenezer, for thus far the Lord has brought us. Those providential circumstances that you find yourself in should show you that it's foolish to now make this rash decision 
to do a certain thing when you've got this responsibility okay that's an example of the circumstances you find yourself in now look at second corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 to 13 it says now when i went to troas to preach the gospel of christ and found that the lord had opened a door for me so god had opened a door for paul i still had no peace of mind because i did not find my brother titus there so i said goodbye to them and went on to macedonia so he found that his circumstances he was a team player right so paul was working with the principle of partnership and teamwork and his circumstances were such that although a door had opened and he wanted to be decisive about it he did not want to go through the door without his teammate because that was his principle so his circumstance did not allow him to continue all right you see sometimes providential circumstances can look like closed doors and this is where we have to know that oh is this a door god has closed or is the door the enemy has closed and i must actually rebuke it open okay tell it to open right so it can look like closed doors versus open doors right and you might say to yourself you know what i think we should go here because this is where the door has opened but you have to be led by god's spirit sometimes it might look like supernatural alignment of certain circumstances but be decisive after you've discerned what's actually going on there's a particular creativity coach called uh, michelle janay and she says one thing i've found the road rarely rises up to meet you until you've begun walking i want to encourage you today and i want to leave you with that thought begin walking so that the road rises up to meet you make those decisions decide to love decide to love again decide to do what you need to do right now make that decision but make sure it's embedded in those green lights that I've shared with you. Your default style needs to be the correct one. Your way of mental processing needs to be the correct one. Right? Agile thinking is so important, guys. I want to encourage you to look at the Word and make sure what you're doing is aligned to the Word of God. Be led by the Spirit of God. Be sensitive to that inward witness. These things are so, so important examine providential circumstances around you and see maybe God's hand is in this. I pray that God, God gives you wisdom and I pray that you are decisive so that you're strong when it comes to action orientation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and we thank you for what you've spoken to every single person who's listened today. We pray, Father, that in the areas where we are in limbo, in the areas where we are struggling with decision paralysis, that we would, ride, we would rise up and make strong decisions, Lord. And we choose to trust you with those decisions. Where we've been afraid of being accountable, where we've been afraid of failure, whatever it is that has caused this paralysis, I pray, Father, that we would rise up and we would engage our will so that our wills are aligned with your plans for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.